Okay, this is Avery Lee Williams again, uh, talking about uh, life in the Furnace Village uh, section of Eastern Massachusetts in the 1940s and 1950s. And I hope everyone's having as much fun with these uh, podcasts as I am. Now, this uh, week's uh, edition is entitled Farm Work, and it goes like this. Farm work was the prime option for young folk in the Furnace Village in the 40s and 50s. Starting at age 10, I went to work for Mr. Frank Gracie, who owned the farm at the spot that now holds the Sunoco Station at the Five Corners. His hay and grazing fields became the site of the Shaw's Plaza. Frank Gracie had a dozen or so milking cows that he milked by hand at first, but later increased his herd and bought milking machines. He had Jersey cows, which gave a heavy butterfat content and had a rich towards tan-colored liquid. When he did, we did not have our own cow, we bought our milk from him at 12 cents a quart. It was in bottles, of course. My first labors for the man were in his gardens. At 10 cents an hour, I would put in a six-hour day weeding his strawberry and veggie patches. At day's end, he gave me an extra nickel for the huge candy bar I bought at Ed Roden's store, and the 60 cents went into my bank account. As I grew older, I was allowed to ride the hay rake and pull the lever that set the windrows of hay for later pickup. This was a very dangerous undertaking, but there was no enforced child labor laws, and luckily I never fell off and got mangled in the machinery. At haying time, I was the little guy up on the hay wagon placing the hay sent up to me by uh, the Nordbeck and Schleicher boys by pitchfork. This was also a hazardous task. Those pitchforks were quite sharp, and I had to be alert to all four sides of myself to avoid being stabbed. One day, I drove the short-angled pitchfork I used right into my shin. My skinny leg failed to bleed, and I had a purple mark on that leg as a reminder to this day. There was no question that I would take on a job. It was my father's instruction that I be self-sufficient as soon as possible. I worked for Mr. Gracie and for Mr. Helmrich Busenkuhl at Wheaton Farm for several years while running my paper route at the same time. At age 12, Dad told me I was responsible for buying my own clothes from there on. Each birthday and at Christmas, I was the only kid in town looking to get a shirt, boots, or a pair of pants as a gift. At age 15, he told me I'd have to pay $5 per week board. That's about $65 in today's money. Since I now had a job at Hocker Watchers at 75 cents an hour and working 54 hours a week in summer and 28 hours per week during school times, I could easily afford this. When 16 years old, I told my dad I wanted to buy a car. I was actually only 15 and a half, but I like to be ahead of the curve. He told me that I, if I did not buy a car, he'd keep my board at $5 a week. But the purchase of a car would lead to unnecessary spending on my part, and he would have to raise my board to $10. Since I was riding my bike two miles to Harko in good weather and, uh, and uh, bumming a ride from Wally and uh, Bullock and Bert Hands, yeah, that's Ed's dad, who came in from Randolph, I thought the car a good purchase. So my board went up to $10 with the purchase of a 1930 Ford Coupe. I bought it for $75 from Dick Hanscom, who was just getting into the used car sales business. 
When I told my old man I'd like to go to Bridgewater State Teachers College later on, he explained to me how well he had done without any such an education, and if I insisted on going to school there, he'd have to raise my board to $15 a week. Talk about tough love. Of course, the $10 rate would hold if, I forego, if I'd forego college. Now I'm paying $15 per week. I was stubborn. Mr. Boozenkohl took a shine to me and let me eat with his family sometimes. They were from Holland, and I had the unheard-of breakfast of sautéed eggs with fresh tomatoes. I learned how to build and maintain a compost pile from him. He was an executive with Texas Instrument and did experiments that included gold dust in his garage. I would be tasked with the delicate duty of vacuuming up the leftover dust and saving it for future use. He knew he could trust me with the precious dust. He took off regularly for Europe and other far unnamed places, during which time I was entrusted with the care of his two huge German shepherd dogs. I'd go there before school on my bike with a change of clothes in which to go to school after the bus picked me up in front of the Wheaton farm. It was damn cold some winter mornings and changing duds in the loft of the barn across the street from the farmhouse was a chiller thriller for me. Some things you just never forget. At age 15, I asked a family friend, Mr. Edward Milano, if he could use me at Hocker Watches and Poultry Farm on Bay Road just over the Norton Town Line. Mr. Milano was the big man on campus as the head breeder and knew all about raising some of the best laying hens in the country. Hocko had a national reputation as among the best in America. I started in June of 1950 doing grunt farm work. However, since many of the farmhands lacked education and could not read nor write well, Mr. Milano chose me as his assistant when recording the attributes of various birds when he graded them. This made me feel quite special. Later that winter, I was promoted to laying house man, just like Wally and Bert. The laying house man had to not only do the ordinary chores of feeding and watering the flock, but collected eggs and weighed and graded them. Now it was in the big leagues. That job was only on weekends, though, when the real laying house man was off duty. I even had a small sec section of trap-nested hens. Once the bird entered the nest, a trap door fell behind her, and I then could haul the bird out and match her in the records with the particular egg she laid that day. This was a special challenge, because a hen that was cooped up in a trap nest for an hour or two is a fun and hurtful event in the extracting. Out she'd fly hell-bent on destroying my partially gloved hand, the fingers of the gloves were cut off so I could grasp the egg, and made me bleed as best she could. Some days you just never forget. I was the water boy in summers. The horse, peanuts, plodded from water pan to water pan as I brushed out the vessels and filled them with fresh water from the thousand-gallon tank on wheels. It was ice cold and I never went thirsty. I wore just a pair of cut-off jeans, dungarees in the day's vernacular, and a straw hat. One day, Penis stepped on my bare right foot, and I lost a big toenail. Weeks later, when lunching at Lake Winnicunit, I took a dive off the old raft that stood offshore and hooked my left big toenail on a protruding metal nail and lost the other big toe. Ouch. Some things you just never forget. That's the way I remember it, anyway.